Hello again, Gary Zacharias with the Apologist Bookshelf. I'm going to take a second look at The Kingdom of the Cults uh, by Walter Martin, general editor, way back when, but it's been updated. And I'd like to look at chapter 18. It's called The Jesus of the Cults. And the authors of the book point out that every, every group that's come along since the time of Jesus has twisted the, the meanings of what Jesus said, and they've actually created another Jesus. They point out that there are really two problems that come about because of this. We have to understand, first of all, so what are the qualities of this other Jesus, and then have to come up with biblical reasons why it is a counterfeit, and we have to refute this other gospel, and it's going on all the time. They take us, uh, the authors take us to the book of Galatians, and uh, Paul there says there would be people coming along who would pervert the gospel of Christ, who represent any other gospel, but it's not any other gospel, it's a counterfeit. And they said it's designed by the master craftsman of all evils, the adversary that we all face, the devil. They also go uh, to Second Corinthians, and in that book, Paul has a warning, a, a big warning in there. Now, here's what he has to say. He said he was afraid that if someone should come to Corinth preaching, quote, another Jesus, another spirit, or another gospel, the Corinthians might be swept along with it and, and wipe out all that uh, work that Paul had done. And so Paul uh, talks about this, that there is this other counterfeit out there, and he shows that there are counterfeit apostles as well and counterfeit disciples, and they look Christian like they're ministers, but he said they're representatives of Satan. They said, this is not unbelievable that Satan does manifest himself as an angel of light. So he says, um, he says, now keep in mind, Christians can disagree on some peripheral issues, but that doesn't mean that they're ministers of Satan unless they go after the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And now that brings up the judgment that Paul was talking about there. So he says, uh, I say he, the person doing this chapter, because there are several authors they're talking about the person and the work of Jesus. That is the foundation of Christian faith, no doubt about it. And the early apostles uh, saw this, including John and Jude, and they keep saying over and over again, we have to maintain the ministry and the, the identity of who the historical Jesus is against these counterfeits coming along. And the other Jesus back then would be probably Gnosticism and what's called legalism or sometimes referred to as Galatianism after the book of Galatians, that threatened a lot of those churches back then at Colossae, Ephesus, and Crete. And there were all sorts of powerful apostolic condemnations that came about because of this. You can see that in 1 John and Galatians and Colossians. So what they're going to do in this chapter, the authors that did this, is uh, trying to get us to understand how the scriptures can be applied in our own day. Just take a look at the other Jesus uh, ideas that have sprung up since his time and to warn against these. And so I don't know if we'll have time to get through this whole chapter because we know there are so many other Jesus uh, representations out there. So we'll just get through what we can get through today. The first uh, part that they're going to look at is who's the Jesus of Christian science? Now it's kind of a new Gnosticism. And Mrs. Eddy said this about Jesus. The Christian who believes in the first commandment is a monotheist. Thus, he virtually unites with the Jews' belief in one God and recognizes that Jesus Christ, here it comes, is not God, as Jesus Christ himself declared, but is the Son of God. Okay, 
So the Jesus that Mrs. Eddy is going to promote is a divine ideal, or he's a principle, and he's inherent within all of us. Jesus was just the supreme manifestation out of that. Now, what's the what's the um, opposite to that? What what can Christians say? Well, Jesus himself acknowledged the reality of flesh and blood. What did he say to Peter? Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. Now, how about 1 John 4, 3? Every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist. And he said it's already at work in the world. So there we go. So he says uh, it's pretty evident that the other Jesus that the Christian scientists will push is a Gnostic Jesus. He's an idea. He's a principle, but he's not God incarnate, as John 1.14 talks about. So although Mrs. Eddy and all of her literature, they talk a lot about Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of Scripture. It's a clever counterfeit, and there have been warnings about that. Okay, let's pick up a second one. How about the Jesus of Jehovah's Witnesses? Now, that's different, as the authors point out, that uh, it's a different Jesus from the one of Christian science, but he is different. So what does the Watchtower magazine say about the Jesus that they worship? The true scriptures speak of God's Son, the Word, as a God. He is a mighty God, but he's not Almighty God, who's Jehovah. So what did they say? In other words, he was the first and direct creation of Jehovah God. Now, the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses, Charles Taze Russell, said this Jesus was Michael, the archangel, prior to divesting himself of his angelic nature and coming into this world as a perfect man. So their Jesus is an angel who became a man. He is a God, but he's not God the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity. And the more you read in uh, the material on Jehovah's Witnesses, you see that that's completely opposite of what the Bible says. The Bible teaches Jesus Christ is the Word, God, the only begotten one. That's John 1.18, and no less than the great I Am that you meet in Exodus 3. I mean, just read John 8.58. He's the first and the last of what Isaiah was talking about, well known to any student of the Scriptures. You can look in Revelation 1.16.17 and match that up with Isaiah 44.6. So, again, kind of like the uh, Christ of uh, Christian science, the one for Jehovah's Witnesses is uh, a, a lower being. It's a second God for the Christian scientists. He was an abstract idea. He, here he's a God, but he's got an angelic background. He certainly qualifies as another Jesus. Then the third one. So we looked at Christian science. We looked at uh, Jehovah's Witness. What about the Mormons? Well, it is different. A different Jesus from the Christian science and Jehovah's Witnesses but they're basically claiming their God is one among many gods. Here's their own literature. This is in Doctrines and Covenants. Each of these gods, including Jesus Christ and his Father, being in possession of not merely an organized spirit, but a glorious body of flesh and bones. Wow. Okay, so the Mormons have a full pantheon of gods. And Jesus, before he was incarnated, was the spirit brother of Lucifer. And he was a polygamist. Uh, the husband of the Marys and Martha, and he became the ruler of this earth because of his faithfulness. That's chapter 6 in the book here uh, that we're going through, the kingdom of the cults. And they point out that Paul, in Galatians 3, says God is one. Not, not this pantheon, not this uh, multiplicity of gods. 
And of course, there are a lot of passages in the Old Testament that demonstrate the falsity that there are a lot of different gods and that if you just can exalt yourself to Godhood, that would be wonderful. It says as far as Jesus being a polygamist and a brother of Lucifer, I said that you don't even have to dignify that with a further comment. Yeah, no kidding, because you can't find even a hint of that anywhere in the scripture. So the wrap-up to this section is that the Jesus of the Christian scientists, uh, those witnesses, the Mormons, all these cult systems caricature Christ. In cult theology, he becomes an abstraction. That would be Christian science and other groups like unity and new thought. Or he becomes a second god, lesser. That would be Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and Theosophy and Rosicrucianism and Baha'i. Or maybe he's a pantheistic manifestation of deity. There's a group called the Spiritists and the Great I Am. But he is another Jesus. So, it says one of the questions that we get here is then, well, why should Christians oppose and criticize these other people? Why, why spend the time on them? He said, well, first of all, they said, if you oppose or you criticize, that's not unethical. That's not bigoted. It's not being unchristian. That's proper Christian conduct when it comes to the very heart of the Christian witness and what it should be. So, the fact that you criticize somebody else's religious beliefs doesn't mean you're personally antagonistic toward the people who hold those beliefs. I mean, we see that all the time, don't we? If you say that's, a, that's an incorrect belief, they say, you're hurting me, you're attacking me. No, we're not. We, we love the people. We treat people equally. We don't treat ideas equally. Greg Kokel talks a lot about that. Um, okay, so let me move along, see what else we can cover here. It says... Um, I'm going to skip the part uh, as far as some of these uh, subsections of the book here. And I will just, uh, let's go toward the end of the chapter. It says, we have to answer. We've got to be prepared. We have to evangelize such people. Why? Because we were commanded to do that. It may be unpopular. It's really hard to go after somebody's beliefs. It's hard to say you're wrong. It's hard to take the flack. Uh, it's hard to be called a hater. Yeah, that, that happens all the time, doesn't it? And so it's unpopular, but if you're going to be a true Christian, you have to be committed. Why? Well, if nothing else, out of respect for Jesus. It says, look, if our mothers or wives or children or country are attacked and misrepresented, if we love them, we would be compelled to defend them. And then they end the chapter by saying that Jesus of the cults is a poor substitute for the incarnate God of the New Testament. Boy, that's the truth, huh? The Jesus of the cults is a poor substitute. You know what I always think of, and I, when I'm talking to classes, I'll bring that up, that the Jesus of the cults is always deficient in something. He's not sufficient, he's deficient. And so what do you have to do? You have to do a lot of things yourself because he's not God. He cannot get rid of those sins. He cannot take on the sins of the world. He'll help you in some ways, but you better carry the load. You better do it. You better read those books. You better show up on those Sundays. You better dress a certain way. You better say those certain prayers. You better marry in a certain way. You have to meet all sorts of standards because the Jesus you represent as a member of some of these different cults is deficient in the ability to save you. You've got to save yourself. He may be there to help, but you're going to do it. Whereas the basic Christianity that we worship and we follow, the basic Christ, is the sufficient part of the Godhead. 
And thank goodness for that. I don't want to have to uh, be on my own and working on my own salvation. I can't do it. I'm too broken. And I think we all are. So I'm so grateful for the Jesus of the New Testament has revealed that he came to do what we could not do for ourselves. Okay, well, that was a look at uh, the kingdom of the cults. And thanks for uh, listening, and we'll do another podcast soon.